Welcome everyone on today's show we examine an untold tale of image comic books. Yes, an untold tale that I have never shared up until today that takes us back nearly 30 years to an image comics partners meeting where all hell broke loose. Literally all hell broke loose. You will find out today why you never got your image comics theme park ride, why you never got your image comics roller coaster, and why you never got your image comics live action show. It is crazy. It is real housewives of comic books level drama. You are going to enjoy yourself today as we also examine the overwhelming power that nostalgia continues to grip on our culture and 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 the direction that everything is headed in based on this giant impact of of that of that that word that we that we are becoming so in awe of nostalgia all on today's episode of observations Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Rob Observations, the humble show that examines the world of comic books, pop culture, toys, games, movies, streaming, all of it, because it's all one and the same. Now we got a whopper. I mean, I'm talking a, a double whopper of a show for you today. If you like good stories, I am here to share them with you. I have held on to these stories for quite some time. This one story uh, that centers around a, a, a specific weekend for Image Comics and the Image Partners. I have never shared publicly, but I'm going to share it today. It's, uh, it, it, it is a snapshot in time of where we were. It is, uh, it, it, it's got drama. It's got sass. It's got, uh, it, it's got all, it's got all sorts of absolute, um, r- really just crazy, interactions, some mild consequences, but by the end of this, you're going to, you're going to get a a peek behind the curtain that you never got before that you should absolutely enjoy because this one is a really, really fun story. Again, it, it covers, um, all manner of, 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 of events that was going, that were occurring during this time in image comics, really two years into our existence. This is right now. We are in the 30th anniversary of image comics. In case you are a casual listener or someone listening for the very first time, 1992 is when image comics launched. This is the 30th, you know, anniversary of image comics. For me, this is like one anniversary after another given. I just came off Deadpool's 30th anniversary and X-Force's 30th anniversary, but that's how we were rolling. Stuff was just rolling back then. So it's fun to go from one anniversary into another as, as fast as we are here. It's a little head spinning. I mean, the, the technically the, the Deadpool 30th anniversary started in March um, which was which was when the, the cover date of, of the New Mutants was, even though it technically had come out in December. But we the, 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 the cover date is what the people know. There's shipping dates, and then there's cover dates. And they're not the same thing, but you can actually dine out on both. Um, and in this instance, the Deadpool, uh, the Deadpool anniversary uh, start started in March of 2021. And so technically, if that's a year, if that goes a year, we're still 
it's still coming into this year. There's still some Deadpool uh, 30th covers and, and items that still have yet to come out. I did an X-Force uh, anniversary issue uh, at the end of the year in 2021, just just passed. And, and, and I'm really, you guys were so generous and kind and, and thank you for all that support. But in 1992, Image Comics was announced. It launched, uh, Image Comics launched with the publication of Youngblood number one. Uh, the, the, that, that was the first, it will always be, it will never not be the very first comic book published by image comics. It was a product of my blood, my sweat, my tears, my initiative, my, uh, the drive that I had within me to make something happen. It was, um, uh, the, the uh, there was enough honey on that stick, uh, uh, to, 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 attract all the bees. And, and those bees followed in the, in the, in the form of Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson and Jim Valentino, Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee. Wolf's Portacio, Image Comics, in effect, changed, shocked, rocked the comics world in a way that we did not anticipate. It was it was kind of like we became the answer to what we always wondered in our comic collecting career, comic book collecting career, if, what if George Perez, John Byrne, Frank Miller had teamed up in their prime, and Jim Starlin and Howard Chaikin, and you just keep going and build it out to, 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 until you get seven, um... So, so it was, it was, it was, uh, we kind of became the what if that we'd always pondered because we saw how the fans reacted. Image Comics immediately, the immediate aftermath or the, the quick, what we call now a hot take. The hot take on Image was, it was a bunch of Marvel guys getting together and they broke the Marvel zombie. Marvel zombies wasn't just a comic book written by Robert Kirkman. It used to be a term that, the publishing houses and the retailers had for Marvel fans that only bought Marvel. I've met them in my lifetime. I've never been one. I am a buy everything guy. I bought talent um, over character or label or company. But Marvel had hard data and DC knew about it and other publishers knew about it and certainly retailers knew about it that there are there is a fan that only bought a Marvel comic. And in the 70s, this was termed the Marvel zombie because they were... It was not meant as a compliment, but it was passed around as the Marvel fan who only bought Marvel, mindlessly only following one company, never opening to other imprints. The, the first crack in this occurred when George Perez, who was one of the, if not the most popular artists Marvel had in their employ in the, from 1975 to 1980, which the significance of that time is it takes us to the birth of the direct market. The direct market starts stirring in the late 70s, 76, 77. Um, some of the big time uh, original, the OG comic book uh, direct market retailers like uh, Robert Bierbaum and uh, uh, Chuck Rosansky of Mile High Comics. Those guys will tell you what was really 78, 79, Jim Shooter, Jim Galton. They showed up for Marvel Comics. They talked about supporting the direct market, getting comic stores a lifeline, getting products. Moon Knight was the very first non-newsstand distribution launch. It was only for the direct market. It was only for comic stores. It was not supposed to be available at newsstands. It was to drive you to your local comic book store. That launched in 1980, the same time, ironically, that George Perez launched Teen Titans number one. He crossed the street. He had been a huge name on all manner of Marvel flagship titles, Fantastic Four, The Avengers, Marvel 2-in-1, his X-Men covers, X-Men Annual. Uh, George was was a bright, shining staple of Marvel Comics. When he crossed over, that was the first little dent uh, in the armor 
uh, that, that, that you would that you would see, that I would see. Marv Wolfman, who was also a dedicated Marvel Comics writer, he had been writing Spider-Man, wrote Spider-Man Anniversary Issue of 200. I remember, I mean, Marv wrote Fantastic Four. I mean, he was a flagship Marvel guy, also an editor of Marvel. He crossed with George. So you had two significant guys, Roy Thomas, who had been Stan Lee's successor. Roy the boy, they called him. He crossed over. He started doing all manner of uh, 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 stories. He did a Conan kind of uh, uh, echo called Arak, uh, another kind of uh, more of an Indian themed, but certainly a Conan the Barbarian like styled book. Shirtless guy, swords. Um, he did All Star Squadron. He carried over his Invaders Credo credit, um, the, the World War II guy, and did All Star Squadron. Those are the first two breaks that we had as fans that said, hey, my Marvel guys are now doing DC Comics. And it was the first tug on the quote-unquote Marvel zombie to move over and maybe check out some of the stuff that DC was doing. DC had a definite lineup of talent that I did not see do Marvel work. Jose Garcia Lup um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, one of the most accomplished draftsmen ever. I did not see him draw a Marvel comic. He only drew DC Comics, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, DC Comics Presents. He did all manner of, I mean, all manner of covers and projects. Uh, Dick Dillon, okay, the, the, the Justice League artist forever. Irv Novick, Kurt Swan. DC had dedicated guys that did their books. So Marvel, to see Marvel's guys cross the street, and suddenly become DC guys. And really what I'm building to is the whole dam broke wide open with Frank Miller. When Frank Miller left his critically acclaimed, mind-boggling Daredevil run and went to do a brand new experimental, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of format and definitely an independent-minded uh, sci-fi kind of uh, uh, retro steampunk, all of it, Eastern futuristic samurai tale called Ronin, we all were like, whoa, Frank Miller has gone to DC. And then the cherry on top was John Byrne, Mr. Marvel, leaving after a decade to go relaunch Superman. But they had never all gone and done their own thing, and that's what Image Comics did. We just left Marvel and didn't go to DC. We didn't follow the Todd McFarlane blueprint of where we all should go do Batman. We uh, ended up, you know, coming together, together independently and doing Image Comics. And Youngblood was the very first Image Comic launched. Youngblood 2 is where things started to explode. Uh, profit berserkers the, the 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 very first ad that associated with image comics that i bought in cbg the comic book buyer's guide which featured the executioners they had been altered to be the berserkers they're on page one of youngblood 2 they introduced this entire storyline that introduces john profit um just from there on youngblood 3 you get introduced to uh to bloodstrike but by that time i've already launched brigade so by the end of 92, like I said, I've got eight comic books. Uh, that's just from April to December. Again, if you go April to April, uh, 18 comics, Extreme was up and running. The, 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 the movement was afoot. Uh, the, the fans were behind us. And, and the 30th anniversary of Image Comics is astounding. I've always said Image Comics means something different to each and every one of the original founding partners. It will always be the place that, for me, it was just I could start doing my own thing the way I wanted to do, introduce you to more of the characters and the uh, uh, personalities that I had jumping around in my brain. 
that would have otherwise made their way out into what I was doing at Marvel. John Prophet, Prophet was set to be a character that was going to hunt down Cable in the pages of X-Force. That's where he was designed. That's what I had conceived of him for. I then obviously held off on that. There is an entire uh, cover in a storyline that I had planned out where the Youngblood character named Cougar was going to be introduced in the pages of New Mutants slash X-Force. Uh, I, I, I held off on that and I didn't go in that direction because at that point I was starting to really, uh, you know, consider that, that I may want to hold on to some of these characters and not give everything, even at a four and, you know, four and a half cent royalty rate. Um, even, even, even though, and, and, and again, that was the best deal being offered in town. I figured I should probably start holding on to these guys. And, uh, and I did. And as I alluded in our first part of uh, A World Without Image Comics, which was the most recent, the broadcast that, that, that I did that launched our, 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 our third season, uh, I, I tell you that I would, have met, I would have absolutely done Cable, the Cable 1 and 2 miniseries. That was going to be my big uh, kind, of, kind of reward for myself, kind of giving Cable his own spinoff. I had a very dedicated story, most of which you read because they used my long... Uh, and, and, and extensive notes on how I was going to tell that story in the uh, miniseries that John Romita Jr. ended up illustrating instead of myself. I would have also been writing it the exact same way that I was um, writing the X-Force book. And, and what I'm telling you is much of the story that you read in that was written by me because I proposed it. And on long yellow you know pads, I had written out and sent in all those faxed um, plot beats to get the series greenlit and get it approved to get Cable his own miniseries. It was only going to be a miniseries. I, I was only stepping out of X-Force briefly. But um, that book would have started, by the way, with Cable at uh, Calvary uh, battling Roman soldiers uh, as they were uh, preparing to uh, 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 remove Christ from the cross. So 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 my Cable miniseries, little, little drop... Uh, Eventually, and it was something that Marvel was really kind of uneasy with. And and I remember like, what, what, why are you uneasy with this? This is kick-ass. This is showing Cable time traveling into the Bible. And and the Roman centurion that he was battling was also from the future uh, under the guise of a Roman centurion. So, you know, I'll eventually give you guys that story. But that is how my opening of the Cable miniseries was set because I really wanted to, as I alluded to uh, in, in, in other podcasts, I wanted to share with you guys like how much Cable has been time traveling and how important his uh, you know, chasing and hunting down the pieces and, 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 and helping save humanity was. And, and part of it was uh, confronting this nemesis, this villain uh, who was at Calvary, at, at, at right right at the you know post death of Christ before they take him to the tomb so it wasn't disputing anything that happened in the bible christ was dead he had died on the cross per you know the events of of the new testament but the roman centurions were not all that they appeared to be and cable appears and they have a great throwdown battle um uh, uh, it, it, it it was a blast it was a great way to kick it off i think it would have um really you know obviously set it set a different tone, but the ultimate battle between Cable and Strife and the six-pack, that that was all, you know, still very much a part of that series. That's 
but but why I'm telling you about that is I do believe Prophet probably would have appeared in that story as I go back and I look at my notes and I look at my sketches. And you guys see, I have sketches and original designs for everything. I, I this was not. Uh, I never really believed there was a market for this stuff, and 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 I, and I held I have held on to so many of my sketchbooks, my notepads, my faxes. Um, the one thing I have prided, given myself the most pride on when I share with you guys on this podcast is how much I can source, because sourcing is so much of everything. When I get to the story that I'm going to get to at the end of this podcast today, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about sourcing, and uh, and 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 how I did source the story that I'm going to share with you today. But before we get any further at that, I mean we have we are already I, I am 15 minutes in. I want to speak of the comic book industry as it is right now. As we are here in 2022, the 30th year of Image Comics. Looking around, talking to my retail buddies, and definitely watching what's being fed to us. Here's my thought and observation. My observation going into this new year is we are in the throes, deep throes, the deepest we have ever been of nostalgia. And, and I'll tell you why. It is, it's overwhelming to me, and it's overwhelming to me how much I'm digging all of it. So... If you are uh, uh, like myself, and I believe so many of you are, we're tried and true um, nerd bots that are addicted to our past loves of sci-fi, superheroes, whatever. This is the stuff we dig um, and, and, and have consumed. We have watched The Book of Boba Fett. We have watched uh, some episodes, if not entire seasons, of Cobra Kai. Um, your wife or your girlfriend, or maybe just you have at least tuned in to watch one episode of the reboot of HBO's Sex in the City, uh, which is called, I think, Just Like That. And, 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 and then you have seen trailers for a movie that is not yet upon us, but is coming. And that is the next installment of Scream, which reunites Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. And what I'm telling you is Cobra Kai, Boba Fett, Sex in the City, Scream, everything that was around 25 years ago, longer, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, is um, are some of the most, if not the most, prominent sources of entertainment that we are all partaking in. I see the numbers. I see the the the, the debuts. You, 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 um, 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 Cobra Kai got an insane amount. Millions of viewers watched the, the debut of season four. I watched an interview with Ralph Macchio. And he said, look, we're giving you... These, this is Ralph Macchio's quote to the interviewer. He said, look, we are absolutely indulging in nostalgia, but we are using it in as a means to punch forward with new characters, new conflicts, and, 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 and new storylines that are you know, exciting the viewers and, and the fans. And I said, that's a perfect way to put it. They are absolutely, they, they have laid a bad rock of, of, of nostalgia. I mean, that is the floor of that, of that show. And seeing Terry Silver, who was always a little bit crazy, kind of loopy, but, it, but, but, but you kind of were very intrigued by him. If you, uh, you know, were, were, were invested in the karate kid, Three, I'm going to give you a little sidebar why the Karate Kid 3 is so weirdly important to our family. My uh, my wife and her sisters, as triplets, were under contract with Disney for three of these Parent Trap movies. And at the time of Karate Kid 3, they had made they had made uh, two of those three that they were contracted for. My, my wife will, will tell you she was able to pay for her college with those Disney contracts. Uh, they, they were 
you know, each year, each year they got better. So year two, they were paid more. Year three, they were paid more. It was a three-year contract that played its way out. In the middle of year three, my wife's sister, Leanna, who some of you went on to later know, she had not appeared as Tori on Saved by the Bell yet. She was selected to be the character that Robin Lively ended up playing in Karate Kid 3. She did screen tests and she was cast and offered the role alongside Pat Morita and, and, and Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid 3. So she was thrilled. Uh, uh, the entire family was thrilled. These, these were some of my very best friends, this family, my wife and her family, the Creels. Um, and, and Leanna was all set. 20th Century Fox had made a, uh, or, or, or Sony had made a deal with her uh, to to uh, Columbia Pictures, I think it was back then. To 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 you know, they had put forth the deal to her agent, and they needed Disney to sign off on it. And Disney waffled, went back and forth, and at the last minute, uh, pulled pulled uh, the the we will not release her. She's under contract, and uh, no slight whatsoever to Robin Lively, who was already a working actress. Robin Lively stepped into the role and made that uh, a, a memorable role of her own. I, I hope that we see Robin Lively uh, on, on season five, season six of Cobra Kai. But the bottom line is, my sister-in-law was for about two to three weeks uh, set to be the Robin Lively character. She, my, Leanna, my sister, she even had to take the repelling because um, they do the, the the repelling off the side of the cliff. I mean, right up till the word go, she was the girl who was going to be alongside Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid 3, which became even more interesting to me when she didn't get cast, because I, I was like, wow, I still really want to see how this turns out. And then going and actually seeing the movie, so there's a little side, you know, you know, uh, uh, behind the curtain story, but when I went and saw it, and I saw the crazy kind of loopy, it was so over the top, um, I love that Terry Silver, if you haven't seen in, in Cobra Kai, this isn't a spoiler, he just makes a uh, reference to the fact that, well, I was really coked out during that time to kind of justify his behavior. I did not know that he was six foot five. I feel like they they they, they, they mitigated his, his height somewhat in Karate Kid 3 because as we've all seen in, in Cobra Kai, he is so tall and imposing. It's incredible. But the bottom line is Karate Kid 3 uh, has expanded on Terry Silver and uh, the big bad that he has become in season four of, of, of Cobra Kai, building off his appearance in Karate Kid 3, uh, is just phenomenal. I mean, I, 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 I dig it, and it is absolutely mired in the, wow, this villain, this loopy, crazy villain that I really dug, is now back bigger than ever, more scary than ever, and I'm, I'm so taken by it. It's, it's really ringing a lot of nostalgic bells, and to see him fight Johnny Lawrence, who he didn't in Karate Kid 3. See, to see characters from 1 and 2 now interact with characters from 3, I mean, which we've been seeing since uh, season 3 with Shozen, when, when, when Daniel goes to, you know, goes to, goes, uh, goes back to Japan to, 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 to hook up with Shozen and, uh, and, and learn more about, you know, Miyagi-Do. Oh, I'm like, I, I just, obviously, I totally dig Cobra Kai, but when Ralph Macchio says, absolutely, they're leaning into the fact. We're not denying. Nostalgia is our thing, but we're using it to build and launch and punch through. Thought it was great phraseology. Then there's Boba Fett. And it cracks me up when I see the guy who actually created, uh, you know, the, the, the costume design for Boba Fett uh, say, I, I didn't think we'd be talking about this guy. 
I did not think we'd be talking about this guy 40 years later. George Lucas, Boba Fett's actual, you know, name creator is also, you know, uh, uh, quoted as, you know, I, I, I didn't know that he'd be this popular. Here we are, Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett, huge hit for Disney. And it's hitting all sorts of nostalgic twinges, you know, sand people, Jawas, Tatooine, all the stuff that we totally dig, that I totally dug. Especially if you were really a Luke Skywalker freak, as I've said on the show many times, I was all in on Luke Skywalker. I was not the Han Solo guy. I was the Jedi guy. And Jedi guy meant you were a Luke guy. And I loved Tatooine. I loved, uh, I loved, I loved his, just every aspect of, of, of Luke's existence and the mysteries of Tatooine and the Jawas and the Tusken Raiders. So we are absolutely in the throes. Sex in the City. I mean, the show went off the air, you know, was it 20 years ago? 19 years ago? I mean, uh, it, the, the fact that it's back, it, it, it launched in 1999. I mean, it launched in 1999. So we're already talking about a, a show, uh, or was it 98? I mean, the, the, the Sex and the City was a late 90s show, and here we are in 2022 watching a kind of the next iteration of it. And so nostalgia is, is all over us. It is all over us. We are mired in it. We are and we are flocking to it, but making it new and tweaking it and, and, uh, and, and where we go with that is really, uh, is really what's going to be interesting to watch. I am telling you right now, the kids of the nineties are running comic books. If you are looking at pricing and valuables, uh, my bronze age brethren, we are being slowly edged out by the nineties kids who are stepping up and buying what they want, uh, uh, and, and, and paying premium prices for it, whether it's art, whether it's collectibles, whether it's the actual comics themselves. Um, the, 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 the pricing is going, you know, it's going crazy. And I'm going to tell you the, the way I know about nostalgia, as we pivot back towards image nostalgia, with image nostalgia, I'm giving you a reprint celebrating the 30th anniversary of Prophet's first appearance. I'm reprinting Prophet number one. I got the numbers on this thing. They're huge. It's a reprint. It's got some new covers, but you guys are going all in in an insane way. You, you guys are going all in. And uh, it, it is incredible to watch um, because you guys want to celebrate your youth in the same way that I love to celebrate my own youth. And so the 90s, um, I mean, the wind is, is at the back of the 90s sails and it is pushing it, pushing it um, faster past everyone. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. That's what we're experiencing right now in this minute. And you're like, Hey Rob, you know, but, but, but Hawkeye and Kate Bishop, no, no, that, that's there too. I get it. But we're about to get Moon Knight and She-Hulk. And that's going to pivot us back to a place of the eighties. So one step forward, two steps back, as far as the culture goes. I mean, when you look at Boba Fett, it's the eighties. When you look at uh, technically 1978, Boba Fett made his appearance. But when you all saw him in the movies, it was 1980 and 83. And, and then you've got Cobra Kai, uh, which is Karate Kid 1984. You've got the 90s with Sex and the City. Um, and 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 then there's the Scream stuff that is right in the middle of the 90s, uh, which is, what is it, 25 years ago? Um, and, and here we go. I mean, it is insane uh, the, the way that nostalgia is dominating. It's not just kind of an afterthought. It is absolutely dominating our culture. So going forward... Seeing how this all plays out is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. I am, I, I am fully engaged and and uh, can't wait for where it's all going to take us. I, I obviously Spider Man, 
no, uh, uh, no Way Home was the monster that we all knew it would be. And um, I believe this this entire science of cameos and 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 I mean, look, how meta is it that we were so moved by what occurs with Andrew Garfield because we, the audience, are aware of he, how he, the actor, did not get his due in the role that he was hired to play as an actor in a production of Spider-Man, and that played into our affection for him more so than anything he establishes his character. We were very meta dialed into that we wanted more out of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man than we got out of his films. And then the amazing performance that he pulls off in Spider-Man is such that we are happier for Andrew Garfield than we are for Peter Parker. And that is, I don't know what to say. I mean, that, that, that moment is so bizarre to me because that's what's occurring. That's why we are all so moved. We're so happy first for Andrew Garfield more than we are for Peter Parker. And, uh, and so, man, things are coming fast and furious as Dr. Strange takes foot. I'm going to tell you right now, there are things I cannot and will not tell you, but there are things I know about Dr. Strange that have been confirmed by three, four sources, but that's not what kind of show this is. But I am telling you that movie will be one that absolutely 100% moves the needle um, for, for ways that you are, you're just starting to hear some of it. I, I do see some of it is leaking out. I'm not sure how much is going to be confirmed, but boy, does is that movie going to be a powder keg. It is an absolute powder keg. So, Image Comics, 30th anniversary, Untold Tales of Image. That's what you came here for. That's what you're going to get. And it starts right now as I pivot directly into two years, 1994, Image Comics. We've launched. We've become the phenomenon. We've established all of our different beachheads. Wildstorm, Extreme, Highbrow, which is Eric Larson's company, Shadowline, which is Jim Valentino's, Todd McFarlane Productions, We've all got our different pursuits. We are all fully engaged. By this time, Deathmate has already occurred. As I went back through the shipping, again, to see, well, when what else did I put out in 92 and 93? And what else was coming out? And, oh, that book's launched and that book launched. I've, I've really been looking back at Image's original publishing plan. I was shocked. Even, even I was shocked at how fast we did Deathmate. It was like head spinning how fast that we uh, got in bed with Valiant and pulled that off. In the Deathmate podcast, which I've done a dedicated wire-to-wire all about how that came together, it was really just me wanting to have young blood and bloodshot. This blood's for you. That was my slogan, building on the Budweiser ad, this blood's for you. This blood's for you. I just wanted to do that. I thought bloodshot looked cool. I thought it'd be cool to have a young blood bloodshot crossover. It built up into something much bigger, much more expanded with half of image partaking, but half not. Um, but we are uh, two years into image comics. We've got a lot of balls that we're trying to keep in the air. We're all juggling them. Each and every one of us are, we're, 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 we're trying to, you know, uh, uh, make our dreams, our collective dreams come true. We're, we're still, we're still, you know, trying to, to, uh, to pull off, you know, uh, uh, all of the different ambitions that we have in front of us. I mean, I'm pursuing a Youngblood cartoon at this time. Um, I believe Todd is quietly in the hunt to make his own toys. Uh, the competition between us has never been more severe. And at Marvel Comics, as I said, we were extremely competitive with each other. Uh, Todd uh, was very excited about being the best-selling comic book in the history of comics and was ready to 
to seed that to Jim because he knew that's the way the machine was kind of pointing everything and in, in, in the way that the momentum was positioned. But again, he told his little buddy, Rob Liefeld, that X-Force would sell a million copies. He was not prepared for the 5 million copies that X-Force landed. Thank you. And thank you. Literally. Thank you, guys. Uh, and then, then X-Men happened. And what I've always said is, Marvel did 3 million, they did 5 million, they did 7 million, and they, they never sold a million again. Not not in that era, not for at least 20 years. And uh, because Marvel had believed, needed to believe, that it was not the, care, the creators and their mojo, but it was the gimmicks. You got acetate covers, you got glow-in-the-dark covers on Ghost Rider, you got, you got die-cut, ripped covers with the Wolverine anniversary issue that that's fantastic, probably the best realized gimmick. Uh, and, and, and then you had, I mean, all manner of acetate, animated cells, all this stuff, all this stuff was, 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 um, was coming to you, but it was not resulting in the same sales. Again, three, five, seven, gone. And, 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 and then the million sales moved to us and we were able to move the needle. And by doing that, we were able to expand and create our respective studios. Now, this is about a year before Mark leaves Wildstorm in the middle of the night. Mark leaves Wildstorm in the middle of the night with Dave Fint, with Brandon Peterson, with Brian Haberlin, uh, uh, Mike Turner. Uh, he had his own crew that followed him that was loyal to him. When when Mark first made the decision to go down to Wildstorm, he wanted to be among the buzzy, you know, uh, uh, energy that, that, that Jim and Wills and Scott Williams were supplying. But I can tell you, because I met with Mark, uh, I met with Mark uh, right before he made his decision in early 1992. And I said, Mark, I know you live in Malibu. What about we open a studio together, myself and Jim Valentino. And, and I said Art to Bear, but Mark really wasn't familiar with Art to Bear at, at that time. And Mark, because I met face-to-face with him, during this period, I had this face-to-face talk, and Mark told me that the big draw of moving down to what was called Homage Homage Studios at the time, not Wildstorm, was Scott Williams. Scott Williams, sidebar, was the uh, biggest inker in comics at that time. He was the Terry Austin of his generation. He had that crisp and clean, pretty, uh, very finessed, crisp, accomplished line. Uh, Scott will be the first to tell you he's a very, you know. Uh, uh, accomplished artist on his own. He, he, I don't know that he's ever done sequentials. I'm not aware. He said that really wasn't a passion of his 30 plus years ago to me, but um, he was uh, very much a secret weapon in the arsenal of that studio. And if you've ever seen some of the, the uh, especially there, there was a, the third issue of the Mandarin, the, uh, something that, that, uh, that, that Jim was doing, his first story arc, his first three issue story arc that he did with the uh, with Chris Claremont and it was with the Mandarin and the transformation of Psylocke. There is a segment that begins. Um, I believe I saw these. I, th- I think I think it was over at Dan Frager's before he left and moved, uh, and uh, yeah, a couple of years back. And the, the the Jim Lee pencils that start that issue down they're tighter than breakdowns, but they're not completely full pencils. But they don't look anything like what you got in the final ink stage because Scott is so accomplished. And the main thing is that there's no hair on Wolverine's body. Anyone who knows, ever since John Byrne established it, putting the hair on Wolverine's body, especially Wolverine's naked form, he's in just swim trunks in that segment, is putting the hair on his legs, thighs, I mean, calves, 
you know, arms, shoulders, chest, down midway, midway to the stomach. Uh, Scott had supplied all of that on everything that, that Jim gave him just the figure drawings. And you go, well, that's the, the application of the inker. Not all the inkers that I talked to would go that extra mile. If there wasn't hair there, uh, I, I had instances where like, I'm not, I'm not putting it there. And so if it's not there, they're not, some inkers were just going to do what you gave them. Scott worked in also a, a realm of, of where he could embellish. He could absolutely embellish. He was the X factor. Um, I, Scott's the kind of guy and who, who is the kind of guy who has taken, uh, partially formed figures, not completed stuff and t- turned it out and made it look knockout final, final line art. Amazing. He's still doing it to this day. Uh, Mark Silvestri, uh, so Scott Williams was, I believe he inked, if not the first issue, the majority of the Cyberforce uh, launch book. And Mark deserved to have an inker as great as Scott because Mark had not, in all of our estimation, he wasn't inking him himself, but he wasn't getting the kind of finishes that I, I think his work benefited from. Todd, myself, Eric Larson, we went into inking ourselves because there was just nobody else that was qualified to pull off the lines that we saw in our heads on, on down on the paper. And uh, no matter how many guys we auditioned, there was only one Scott Williams, Homage, Com, Homage Studios had him, and Mark made it very clear he was going down there to hook up. And he did. And, and, and Scott was a huge draw. But the Scott Williams era opens the door, um, and, and Art to Bear, somebody who I had known since 1984, immediately somebody as talented as Art was able to emulate exactly the direction Scott was going because he was so talented in and of himself and the most talented guys can just move. And art then also created that same polish and, and, and for my money match matched Scott line for line during this period. Art to bear is one of the most accomplished art does arts, a great artist in, in and of himself does do sequentials, got into comics, penciling and inking himself. He did a Titans spotlight featuring Aqualad. I was in Art to Bear's Huntington Beach uh, loft. Uh, I mean, he was just right there, almost on the sand in 1985, 86, 87. Art was primarily inking in a brush. With the Scott Williams movement happening, he picked up a quill. And by the late 80s, early 90s, Art was, oh my gosh. Well, what Art then does is take on an assistant named Danny Mickey, who create who becomes arguably, and I've seen people think he's the greatest inker of his generation. And then Danny Mickey at Extreme Studios begats Norm Ratman, begats John Saval, begats Marlo Alquiza, Larry Stucker, the list goes on. Dan Panosian came and helped hone everybody at our studio as well. Dan was kind of the third guy in the mix when Scott Williams was happening, then Art to Bear, then Dan Panosian. This really doesn't have any bearing on today's story other than to show you that the original honey on 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 the stick, the honeycomb that was a- attracting Mark was the Scott Williams of it all. Mark had now been two years in. Uh, Matt Banning was doing a very Scott Williams style line. There was a number of D- Detron, all these guys. Everybody was starting to emulate this look. I'm not saying they replaced Scott Williams, but they were as good a facsimile as one could possibly have imagined. And I, I ask you, the fans, to, to, to weigh in on that because you, you guys were following these lines. Inking was the polish, the highest level of polish that you could achieve on your comic book art at that time prior to the advent of computer coloring. And, you know, there's different phases in the computer coloring stage as well. There's the digital chameleon, only optics, which we started. Then there's the 
next level, which as I, you know, kind of shared with you guys not too long ago, the next level of that, the next level of, of, of that became when we all started our own coloring places, extreme color, wild storm color. And then the kind of the, the, the tail end of that brings you the Brian Haberlin era. And that punches us into a new era of coloring. So I've gone inking and coloring here, but inking is, 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 was where the battles were being won. If I don't ink myself, I don't believe I ever find the style that the fans truly dig about my work. Ditto, Todd McFarlane, ditto, Eric Larson. We are guys that needed to ink ourselves to get the maximum um, uh, imagery of what we wanted in our head on paper to you guys. So two years in an image, Mark is about to leave. That that storm is is rumbling. Uh, there's There's a lot of competition. Tensions are high. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. Tensions are most definitely high. Larry Martyr in his first kind of, the, kind of maybe, maybe the most important, uh, part of the gig at, that he took over as publisher was to communicate how we needed to show the comics world, how united we were, that the, the stories were getting out there, how fractured we, we were, the competition, uh, the, the, the poaching of different artists and talents, which was definitely now beginning to happen. As, as other studios and, and non-studios, some of the other partners wanted in on some of the talent that was happening from the blood, sweat, and tears that, was, that were occurring in our studios. But it was, it was getting very, very competitive. Larry believes that we should go and make the strongest showing possible and read off our different publishing, uh, our different publishing uh, uh, initiatives to the retailers that are going to be assembled at this giant distribution, uh, at this giant distribution meeting, we believe was the IADD, which was the, you know, International Association of Direct Distributors. At this time, there was both Capital and Diamond. So they would both, Capital and Diamond would both attend retailers who bought, Capital was the other big distributor during this time. Diamond did not become its own separate distributor until Capital went out of business late 95, early 96. Okay. So, so we are looking at this point where Capital is still in in the game. Diamond is still in the game. The two big distribution, there's even a a third smaller Heroes World distribution, which Marvel eventually buys, trying to turn them into a Dynamo in 1996. But the IADD, the International Association of Direct Distributors, this meeting is happening in Orlando, Florida. We have been asked, each of us, we have been tasked with uh, presenting. So say, and I believe I did, I read, Rob Liefeld stood up to read Top Cow's publishing plan. Mark Silvestri stood up to read Extreme Studios' publishing plan. Jim Valentino read to you Todd McFarlane's publishing plan. Jim Lee read Eric Larson's. Eric Larson read Wildstorms. That's how, and it was like, we are united. We are, we are going to give you our fellow brethren's publishing schedule. This was only available to retailers who were there at the time. Now, I called retailers, distributors, people who attended this last week. Some of them laughed. They said that the microphone was too high for Jim Lee and that he had to stand on his tippy toes to talk into it. This is not a memory that I had, but two separate retailers gave me this exact memory. And then when Mark got there, he pulled the microphone really high during his presentation. So if there is any doubt in your mind that this absolutely happened, it did not. We each addressed in a, uh, in, in a, in a conference room 
with aisles and aisles of chairs, which some retailers attended, some didn't. All were invited, but again, you have to go, is this worth my time? Even to this day, there are still, now they're getting canceled because of our pandemic, but prior to that, there were still diamond distributor meetings where publishers would come and show their preview for their publishing plan going into the year. So this is 1994. 1994 is important because part of this presentation is going to be Images of Tomorrow. Images of Tomorrow is, as you know, as I have right in my hands here, I went out and I grabbed uh, Brigade 25 and Bloodstrike 25, and there was a Supreme 25, and there was a Stormwatch 25. When we were, before Larry Martyr, before we officially had a publisher, when we would get together as image partners, knowing that the game was afoot, the books were being solicited, this was between 92 and 93, so you had a couple of Youngbloods, you had a Spawn, you had a Brigade out. We would talk about doing future stories. And what if we did a story where the characters, you know, were in the future? This made sense because all of our favorite stories was Days of Future Past and that future reveal. And this is something that I felt like that we had talked about. And it was something that was a result of our obsession still with our youth being the X-Men fans. And and I think at that point we were still reconciling the fact that we had all grown up such giant X-Men fans and then we outsold our favorites on the X-Men. I mean, like I said, Jim Lee was so popular, he got Chris Claremont removed from the title and 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 uh, became, you know, the most popular X-Men artist. Seven million copies, far beyond, you know, his 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 idols of 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 John Byrne, Dave Cockrum, Art Adams. Mark Silvestri, ex-guy, myself, ex-guy, at the time, Wills Portacio. So we're talking about this, this future, future stuff. And, uh, but in the same way that, you know, you're talking to Valiant about this blood's for you, a bloodshot young blood. And the next thing you know, it, it it's, it's an all like, wait, Jim Lee's involved in, and, and Wildstorm's doing this too. And okay. So, so my calls aren't, you know, concise and contained. This idea that we're going to, in the first year, show a glimpse, take everybody to the future which is now kind of something you see in, in, in television all the time, the, the future glimpses. We were going to do that together. Well, one day uh, in late 93, I'm going to the image office and I see, so, so this is full confessional here, full confessional, because you know I have my own sins to confess and this is not something that the image partners aren't aware of, as you'll find out everyone knew. Um, I saw that Jim was going forward with this idea on his own. Stormwatch 25, a leap into the future. And I'm like, what the hell? This is something we had discussed as doing as a group, but now he's co-opting this on his own. Long story short, I went back and I told Eric Stevenson, I told everybody, we are going forward and doing all of the jumps. We're doing Bloodstrike, Brigade, Supreme as 25s. Couldn't do Youngblood. Youngblood wasn't being published at the time. Again, this is so early. Bloodstrike 25, I believe, followed Bloodstrike 11. So Bloodstrike had only been out for 11 issues when we jumped. So Images of Tomorrow, which is the moniker I came up with when Jim was submitting his, just so we're clear, Stormwatch 25 did not say Images of Tomorrow. So then I said Images of Tomorrow, and that's what we're going to do. And then I spoke to Larry that this was something that was supposed to happen, like not supposed to, it was something we were intending to do together. And now Stormwatch is doing it on its own, but I am now going to move mine in because I'm not going to be left behind an idea that I was co-author of. So we submitted this, and I heard that it rankled some feathers, mainly Jim's, but Jim didn't call me. There was no action taken. 
And so whatever hostilities or whatever animosity there was, was laid to rest at that time. Well, it's all about to blow up here as we fly to Orlando for this meeting. But that is not where the fun of this comes from. We'll get back to this. We haven't gone real housewives of comic books yet, but we're about to. Because we're all going to be in Orlando to do this presentation for the IADD, the International Association of Direct Distributors, uh, uh, and, and the retailers, we are all going to meet with a company that is desperate to meet with us and to sell us on an idea, on a product, on, on a, on a uh, means with which uh, we could expand our brand. This company is called Landmark Entertainment. If you Google right now Landmark Entertainment, their website is alive and it is well. And, and, and in that website, you will see that they do multiple events and they do multiple, uh, they, they, they do multiple, uh, uh, I'll just read the Landmark Entertainment Group from their website. Landmark Entertainment Group. Since its inception in 1980, Landmark Entertainment Group's mission has been to create new forms of entertainment for the expanding global audience, this mission has led us into a world of exciting challenges and triumphs, from conceiving and producing exciting new attractions for the theme park and leisure industry, to developing and producing a wide variety of live entertainment productions, from the creation of highly unique television productions and motion pictures, to creating original properties for animation and the internet, including virtual reality. Landmark's innovations and our special brand of total entertainment have found their way into many of the world's most popular shows, attractions, and destination sites. In the world of theme parks and attractions, Landmark Entertainment Groups stands as the cutting edge of experimental, experiential, experiential design, having created the most innovative and successful themed park attractions of the last 20 years. They have done, if you glance through, they have done all manner of different events. One specifically I'm going to tell us about uh, tell you about, um, but but they've done stuff featuring Marvel, King Kong, Universal Properties, Jurassic Park. They're in all manner of resorts and casinos in Vegas. Again, uh, their theme parks. They were heavily into designing some of the superhero rides at the Six Flag parks um, during this time. So they are established in 1980. They have already got a great resume. They want to meet with us. They have a vision for us, the image guys. We only do comic books at this time. We don't have a single. There is no Spawn movie in production. There is no Youngblood cartoon. There is no Wildcats cartoon. None of that exists. Landmark wants to meet with us. So we decide, well, why not? I'm, you know, we're more than happy to meet with these guys and see what they have to, you know, have to do. Uh, I'm sorry, have to... uh, have to offer us. And so we're going to do that, gather together uh, on the evening before we take the floor at this distribution meeting to pitch each other's stuff. And Images of Tomorrow is kind of looming um, in, in, in the background. So so I've set the stage. Florida, all the owners, we're getting together. And one of the things we're going to indulge in is the, uh, is is, you know, one of the things we are going to indulge in is uh is is you know is listening to these guys from landmark tell us about their you know what what they want to do with us see their vision and uh so so you know um 
we all gather together, flying separately, and 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 we gather in. And I got to be honest, because I texted a couple of the guys today, and I said, "Were these? Was this room as really as janky, like a, 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 as I remember it?" And uh, and and uh, <laughs> he said, "Yes, Rob. We met in just basically a a, a, a two like a a double bed, you know." room that you'd get at the hotel, whatever hotel we got in, in Florida. Um, and, and all of us are gathered in there. So all at this point, there is no wills. So there's six, you know, six image partners and Larry Martyr. So seven of us, um, uh, and we are gathered into a basic hotel room with two beds and some chairs. And I can't believe, I mean, like absolutely how ridiculously, uh, cheap, and, 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 and janky that, that we, uh, that we, that we, 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 we made this, but these two guys from Landmark were more than happy to make the presentation to us in this janky hotel room because we clearly, uh, had no taste. Um, and, and, and honestly, we, we had no taste because, because <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, in my memory, this is specifically this is specifically, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's this hotel room. And I, I keep dwelling this cause it's, it's so embarrassing, but the landmark guys come out the, uh, the, 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 the gentleman that I remember very, uh, very clearly had, had blonde hair, very surfer, surfer, um, looking and, and, uh, he, opened up by, you know, thanking us all for meeting him. We weren't as, as aware of landmark, although I was, um, I was aware of their arena shows because I had just gotten uh, a, a suite that I had for four years at the, um, what was called the pond of Anaheim. I think it's now the Honda center, or maybe they've changed it one more time, but it's the home to the mighty ducks. But in the early days, uh, um, the, the, the mighty ducks before they had concerts, which was about a year before they had Aerosmith or, or Van Halen or any of the rock acts that they promised me, which is why I bought the suite in the first place. And I had a killer suite. Trust me, trust me. I had a killer suite. Um, they were doing a lot of these kids shows. And what I would do is I'd give them away to my friends. I'd be like, Hey, there, there, you know, there's a masters of the universe, uh, live show. Do, do you want to go, do you want to go? see it. And, uh, and I remember watching one of them. So, but I didn't know it was the landmark guys until they tell us about it. And, uh, and, and so they, they take the, the, the head of the room, which we're all like sitting on beds, which again, like I said, is, is embarrassing. Um, but the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the thing is they sat down and they informed us who they were and they were great salesmen. And, the landmark guys were very generous in informing us that they, what, what they were capable of pulling off for us. And the two gentlemen from landmark, uh, who were, as I understand it, the guys who owned and created and generated landmark entertainment, which at this point is a 14 year old company with a big resume. And they share, they share with us that they form, they, they've done these superhero rides, um, uh, for Six Flags, whether that's Superman, Batman, I, I don't know what's out at the time, 
Uh, they've got a Hulk ride that they've developed. These are the roller coaster rides, but they said they've really been into these arena shows and they just did the turtles and they did master of the universe. And the one blonde surfer haired looking guy gets up and tells us what our, what our point in doing these shows is, is that we, you know, put on a show where we would, we're obviously in the opening act of the master of the universe. We have our, you know, young, uh, 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 you know, young characters introduced. And maybe some of you who've listened to this, maybe you went to one of these shows. Maybe you absolutely went to one of these, um, one of these, you know, masters of the universe, uh, you know, shows. And, and, and maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you saw the, I think it was called the masters of the universe, you know, power tour, but the, uh, the, 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 that they would have the young um, characters introduced and maybe as as surrogates, um, and they would uh, that they you know come on stage and take you through the first act and at the end of the day the bottom line is the whole reason uh, that, that 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 they were doing this and I can see that you can absolutely look up you know and see the Masters of the Universe power tour okay and 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 absolutely you know um watch and see that, that that these were a thing and they were going all around the country with these shows that they would uh that that that, that they would put this show on and get the fans in uh um engaged as they were introduced to this world and that the uh entire approach and thrust of the first act is getting Prince Adam to encounter his power sword. Um, and, and you're like, well, Lightfoot, it's not a power sword. Look, I'm not a, a, a giant He-Man Master of the Universe fan here, okay? But I know about the power sword because they said at the end, what they tell the kids at the end of the first act before intermission, before they come back is they say, if you have your sword, raise your sword and, and, and repeat after me and this mantra. And they said it's a plastic glow-in-the-dark sword and that every as many kids who have already bought them on the way in have them. Again, this is what's being told to us in this room in Orlando with all of us assembled. Mark, Todd, Jim, Eric, Jim, myself, Larry Martyr. And he says, and he's very charismatic, he says, and they, 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 they whip out the, 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 the glow-in-the-dark sword to everyone who's bought it prior to coming in. And you'll see he said a couple hundred swords. And there, you know, the lights go down, and you see the glow-in-the-dark sword, and they say, by the power of Grayskull, whatever the He-Man saying is. Forgive me. This isn't a He-Man podcast, but you get the gist. And he says, but then, at intermission, all the parents, everyone rushes to the exits because little Billy and Johnny and Julie and Jane want their power swords. And he said... And when the lights, when we go to that same mantra, five minutes in to the second act, you see 8,000 glow-in-the-dark swords go up and everybody has bought that sword. And they say, and that's where we make our money is on the merchandise. And we want to take you guys and do an Image Comics live tour with Spawn 
and Youngblood characters and Wildcats characters and Cyberforce characters and Shadowhawk and Savage Dragon. And we want to do a live, we believe in you guys. We've seen your comic book sales. We believe that we start out with 12 to 15 national shows in major cities. We get advertisements in your books and we rally people. And what we will do is there'll be all manner of weapons, uh, whether it's Shaft's bow, whether it's uh, uh, some claws, uh, whether it's, you know, something Shadowhawk related, a fin that the kids can put on their head and we will rally them in the same way because the, the, the experiential part of this is getting these kids to buy and collect your merchandise and you'll have an entire legion of new fans when this show is over and we'll front the cost, we'll front the whatever, we'll give you a percentage of the tickets, but mostly where you're going to do the best is with these items, these toys, the merchandise. And I'm going to tell you, these guys did a great job. And they said, and then based on this, we are already in discussions with some of the theme parks to introduce image comics rides. And we can expand your brand. And there are theme parks opening all across the world, not just the United States, they tell us, so that we can get you guys, you know, Saudi Arabia, we can get you guys in China, in Japan, and they give us the full-throated, big-time pitch. I'm captivated by all this. Their pitch to us is, you know, 35 minutes. It covers this entire He-Man. They say, obviously, beyond He-Man and the Turtles, it's all the different weaponry, so they've expanded. Now, the funny thing is I did see in the early 2000s, if you guys remember this, there were these arena tours with Marvel characters, with Cap on his motor. And this is before the MCU, before 2012, 2010, 2008, the, 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 the exact kind of tour and situation that we were being sold, Marvel bid on. And it wasn't like they had a whole lot more going on than their movies at the time. I mean, than their comics at the time. They weren't the, again, the MCU as we know now. But these guys from Landmark, they give us their resume. They show us all of the different arenas and shows that they've, you know, put these up at. They show us their Vegas experiences. And we're all very, very engaged. But the meeting ends with like a needle off the record. Because Todd speaks up. <clears throat> and this is not the first time we've heard this. Um, Todd has got this down. But uh, Todd McFarlane speaks up and says, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, this, uh, this all looks like really interesting. And, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you off the, off, off the top of my head. I'm, 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 I'm just going to tell you off the top. I, it, it's not that I don't value what my, my brethren, my image partners, what they have. It's, it's not that I don't value that. It's, 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 I, 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 I value Spawn more. I value Spawn more. I, I, I don't value them less, but I don't, I don't, I don't value Spawn the same. I, I, I value Spawn more. And they're like, what are you trying to say? And he goes, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I, I would not be part of this. I would not be equal part of this. And at least to his credit, he's telling us all to his face, something that we've already heard many times over many deals that I'll share over the course of the many years here before. I value Spawn more is, um, great. We, we got it. Um, it, it, it's, it, it kind of came with the dinner wherever Todd went and whenever anyone tried to get us to do something in unison. And the reason those didn't happen was it was always led with, uh, I, it, it, it's not that I, I don't value what my partners have. It's, 
I value Spawn more. And so we get it. You you think Spawn is greater, is better, or you don't want to be in a position where it's cut six ways. And at that point, um, that I know for a fact was so, uh, I don't want to say offensive, but it was just not something that Jim or Mark or Eric or myself or Valentino would have signed off on. And we didn't. And, and, and by, by expressing this, uh, it always, it always dimmed the opportunities for the interested party. The interested party would say like, so you're not all, you, you we can't get you all on board. Oh, it, it, it's a no for me. And so it's a no, it's a, it's, 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 it's a no, it's a no for me is always going to put a, uh, a dampener on it. Now, now, did they know, you know, the risk they were taking by flying out and meeting in our small little, um, hotel room, uh, that, that, that there was a, that there was a, a possibility that not all the guys would get on the same page. Of course they did. They took the risk. They came out, they gave us their best, um, show, but it was immediately doused. Mark had a few questions. Jim had a few questions. I had a few follow-up questions. I think we all were very flattered by the fact that this company, that uh, we didn't have, like I said, any media. He-Man had a movie that had come out. Whether it was a hit or not, it got all those billboards, all that TV advertising, all that, what they call awareness. They had awareness. It had years and years and years of a hit cartoon show, the toys. We were flattered that these guys were so entertained by our characters and so um, impressed with our comic book sales that they believed that they could warrant starting out some shows that look, they could have done these shows, nobody shows up and the 10 to 12 shows were the last shows and it's a failure. But the, the I value Spawn more was something that we got and would you'll hear a lot in the early days which would always um, uh, in, in general limit um, limit the opportunity and take the larger opportunity away. Um, it, 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 uh, it was never as just the, the dark cloud was never though as, as present as it was on this day in this hotel room. These guys thanked us for their time and they left. And then Todd addressed all of this, all of us after they left, having really expressed that there's no way to get spawn involved in this. And there was no counter, there was no side offer to do a spawn uh, tour. I think um, doing a, hey, kids, come and see a demon from hell, try and, uh, you know, reclaim his, uh, you know, his, find his redemption. Uh, no matter how funny you make the clown and how monstrous you make the violator, the whole uh, demon angel part of that is always going to keep a segment of the population away. Um, the superhero, you know, aspect of the show is what was. Uh, a superhero universe, I think, is is really what they were uh, what they were looking to combine. Of which Spawn was a great complementary piece, but there was not an instance where there was a side deal presented to. And of course, yes, I did talk to Landmark over the years, and they will tell you that their recollection of this meeting is the same as the one that I just gave to you. So, with that dark cloud hanging in the air, looming over all of us. Uh, we decided to turn to other business. Landmark had made their presentation. They wanted to do a live arena show with us. And they were told uh, that, that, that not all of us would be on board with an arena show or roller coasters or anything utilizing any of their contacts to expand image. And so uh, 
So, so we pivoted to what we were going to be doing the next day, which was making this presentation at the distributor meeting. And uh, very quickly, the images of tomorrow was brought up by Jim Lee, who uh, made uh, an accusation that I had heisted his Stormwatch 25, of which you can imagine he had no longer, he had not really uh, so much as finished that sentence before I was ready to pounce, of which I said, hey man, this was something we were supposed to do together. You were going in and doing this without us. So yes, of course, I jumped onto it. I am in no way mitigating what you are doing. My stories take place, you know, we've lost the whole communal part of it. The only communal part of it is that I can mix my extreme characters on my end of the images of tomorrow, but you're doing it on your own. So, but we're all jumping to 25. That's, that's, that's happening. There's no backing off of it. No one wanted, no, no one asked either to back off, but it was very hostile as hostile images of tomorrow is where I think all of the resentments of the years prior, uh, were coming out. And I quote, one gentleman whom I consulted with his memories of this meeting uh, said, uh, and I quote, he said, oh, I remember very clearly. I shouted this out during that argument that took place that I now understand how raw these Marvel wounds are with you guys. Um, it's like Bob Harris is still here playing you all off of each other. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And the whole thing is, I didn't really feel Bob played us off each other. Maybe I was, um, you know, I definitely knew that on our way out the door, we were made to be seen as less than important. But in the throes of the success, it was, um, I very much had control of my own territory. Again, a byproduct of making characters that did not exist 18 months prior is that you kind of hold all the secrets. Um, you, you don't tell somebody who you're doing the book with who strife really is so that they can't reveal it before you can. You hold all your stuff close to the vest. I maintain my X-Force Island um, very valiantly, and Jim had his, but we were all very competitive, the Spider-Man office, the X-Men office. So any, anyway, this, this comment that says how deep the Marvel wounds were, I think it was just, we were just a competitive bunch of guys, and here's where it comes out, because this is where I went, whoa, what? So we got accusations, you stole this future thing from me. And I'm like, we had always talked about doing this together. Um, and, and, and now the, the thing that shocked me that like literally, so Eric Larson, God bless him says, and you ripped off my super Patriot was cybrid. And I went, Whoa, Hey, whoa, cybrid. And if in case this is the first time you're hearing this, you know, excuse me, you know, your virgin ears. Cybrid was me stealing from my own Garrison Kane in X-Force 2. I, I, I created Garrison Kane had cleared him as the next level of Weapon X, you know, experimentation. And I had gotten to the place where, as you saw in the first issue, his hand flew off and he grabs, you know, Deadpool independent. He is a machine man. His hand flew off and then returned to the wrist, something that you would, you know, get in the toy. And Cybrid, instead of being red and gray, was blue and yellow. And Cybrid, if you've seen my original cable sketches from 1989, one of the titles that I was giving cable was Cybrid. So that name was there. And the Jack Kirby's Machine Man, his arm would fly off and fly back and he had coils and he had all that stuff. 
But because I wasn't able to fully develop Kane and go further with Cybert, I was going full machine man. I just didn't put the roller skates on the bottom of his of his shoes. But Mich- Garrison Kane and the new the new Weapon X, that's what who he, he, he was intended to do when I introduced him in 1991, was intended as my version of Machine Man, which Super Patriot was Eric's version of Machine Man, and Cybird is my version of taking my version of Machine Man at Marvel even further. Yeah, I repeat that three times. But I was like, wait, what? So, so now it's bigger than Image Tomorrow. Eric has resentment uh, for me over Cybird because of Super Patriot. And at that point, it... It didn't even escalate. I just laughed because I'm like, we're all ridiculous. We are the home of not one, but two Wolverine clawed guys. Cyber, uh, Cyblet, Cyber, but what's, okay. You got, you got Ripclaw and is it Cyblade? Um, I, I, I forget what Jim's Wildstorm guy with the Wolverine claw fingers are, but it's like, come on, man. Cyberforce and Wildcats seem to be a complete uh, echo of the X-Men. The young, yeah. the thing that I laugh at is Youngblood is an echo, absolutely, take it from me, of the Avengers or the Titans. It is not an echo of the of X-Force. But people who don't have any knowledge of the glory of the Avengers or the glory of the Titans that I worshipped at would say, oh, you just ripped off X-Force. And I'm like, wait, because I had a gun? Because Chapel has a gun? Because there's no Archer. Oh, but Shatterstar and, 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 and Shaft have red hair. So... Look, the, the 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 funny thing is, and in all of this, in the first year, Marvel tried to sue Todd over his use of the skull imagery, which they said is in their letter that he read to me, showed to me. I held it in my hands. He they argued that he was he had stolen Punisher's iconography, icon, iconic skull motif that he had stolen the Ghost Rider chains. It was it was su- such a far reach on the Marvel attorneys at the time. But here we are, losing our minds in a hotel room, fingers pointed, hostilities, people are yelling. At this point in time, we are literally the housewives of New Jersey. We are flipping the tables. We are like about ready to get into a comic book, you know, deathmatch with pillows. Um, in a hotel room. I mean, people on the bed, standing over the bed, pointing fingers, um, screaming, yelling, you stole this, you stole this, you stole this. It was, it was so ugly that it became hilarious. Um, cooler heads soon prevailed. Again, I was like, wait, what? Cybert, super patriot. I'm like, Cybert is my, you know, version of Garrison Kane with a slightly long, slightly longer hair. Um, but the tensions the anger, the accusations. It took about an hour to work through and everybody kind of just agreed to coexist because no one was leaving that day. Even though Mark was about to leave Jim and take his, um, you know, uh, what do they call him in, in Star Wars? His uh, <laughs> his apprentices. Take, take his Padawan learners with him down to Santa Monica and start his own identity with Top Cow. But, uh, the landmark guys pitched us roller coasters and arena shows. Uh, we're, we're told very quickly that a deal could not made because Todd views Spawn as no, no offense to the rest of us, more valuable than all of our stuff. At each and uh, again, which was not something we were hearing for the first time, so it wasn't wasn't a shock. It was more of a shrug. But that then opened the door for this Images of Tomorrow battle. 
and you stole from me, you stole from me, you stole from me, hey, you stole from me, and it just went everywhere. And uh, I mean, everybody had some finger pointed at somebody else doing somebody else wrong, and it all calmed down just in time for us to take the stage the very next day, where the very prim and proper, very well-coiffed, very well-dressed Perhaps we all had collared shirts on, took the podium and introduced our um, competitors' products. This is what was coming out from Top Cow and the brilliance of Mark Silvestri and the artistic, you know, uh, genius of Dave Finch. And I, we sold each other's shit like our lives depended on it because we wanted to put on a united front. Larry wanted us to put on a united front. It was a great idea from his end to quell a lot of the noise. Little did they know of the Real Housewives drama that was happening um, in the hotel room because I've seen those memes of those Real Housewives screaming at each other and flipping tables. And I may have watched a couple of the earlier seasons and seen them. And I'm telling you, the only other time I saw, I saw those look. I saw Teresa looking back at me about to flip my table was when I saw Jim Lee with his finger pointed and his arm outstretched. You stole this! And um, so we we, we had kind of gotten, uh, kind of come undone just in time to pull it all together We and go our separate ways and hopefully the next time find better hotel rooms. I can't even believe we didn't rent a suite. Like, what are we doing? We, <laughs> I keep telling you how well off we are, but boy, were we dirt cheap. Here, Landmark Entertainment guys, come meet in our crowded no, we don't have a suite. No, we don't have a business meeting area for you. We have a double bedroom, uh, a double bed, you know, hotel room for you to come squeeze into and take the corner and present to us your brilliant landmark um, way that we could have expanded our brand globally on your dime. And uh, but 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 spawn is more. And uh, and uh, I just shared this with you guys today so you can laugh. There's no judgment. Uh, let, let me tell you, let, let me, let me uh, end the show be, so there's no doubt. Todd McFarlane is great. I had an entire episode on how he should have his own Hall of Fame. He should have a statue for how he revolutionized the toy industry. You should listen to it. Every Everything I say is the stuff that I say to the people closest to me for the last 25 years. And and that's a small group, but they go, that is absolutely consistent. What, what Rob is saying on the podcast, Jim, Todd is great. His art is great. The, the, the lines that he put down on Spider-Man and on Spawn, his inking line, his ability to craft a page, his design work, when he's actually doing it, not inking Greg Capullo and calling it him. I'm, I'm talking pure Todd, which is the first few issues of whatever, the first year of Spawn and, and his Spider-Man work. That stuff is great. He is great. Jim Lee is great. Mark Silvestri is great. Best artist, illustrator of maybe any era. Mark Silvestri is great. Eric Larson is great. Jim Valentino is great. Wills Portacio is great. I have nothing but the most respect for these guys. So when I tell you a story of 30, 28 years ago, it's for your entertainment and maybe give you a peek on what was coming undone uh, behind the scenes or maybe just opportunities lost. Because again, a lot, so much of what I'm doing is what ifs, but this one wasn't a what if, it was a, it was a what the... And uh, man, I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane in a seedy hotel room in Orlando, Florida, uh, 24 hours before we took the stage to highly recommend our entire line. 
And it was a great call to have each of us sell the other's line of books. I talked to a retailer who was there today. He said he loved it. He's the one who told me about the microphone changes. The, the, the Jim, Jim was too short for his. Mark pulled his up so high that everybody else had to struggle to put it down, which is probably why Jim's was too short because Mark went before Jim. Uh, I think Todd closed it. But uh, so those are the roller coaster rides you didn't get, the arena show you didn't get, and the bloodshed that we were saved from had 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 there been. I, I just don't think Jim could flip a bed, but he could have flipped a table. So maybe this is good. This didn't happen in a restaurant. But uh, yeah, so there's there's some fun drama uh, that takes you back to some of the craziest times I've ever had. And, 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 and shines even more light on the craziness that was Image Comics 30, 28, 29, 27 years ago. So when you go and get those images of Tomorrow Books, because they're good. The Blood Strike 25, I laid the entire book out. I was that invested. Dan Frega does finishes on it. It's great. He inks my full pencils on the cover. The Brigade issues are great. The Supreme issue is great. And the Stormwatch 25 is great. They're fun. But they, uh, they were the, uh, the spark that lit the fuse where the dynamite went off. And uh, in Orlando, I'm sure, has never been the same since. And there you go. And there is <laughs> the, uh, the, the story of Image Tomorrow and the roller coasters that we were not able, and the live action show that we were not able to bring to you. At the end of every episode of Rob's Observations, we read the reviews that you leave for us about this podcast. And uh, I read them. I read your reviews, uh, uh, expressing your support, which we need so desperately, always. You guys, if you can uh, leave reviews, five stars, subscribe, continue to recommend this show. Uh, it's great. It it, it, it helps us uh, bring it to you as we have continued to bring it to you for free and we'll continue to bring it to you for free. Uh, because, uh, I just, I just love doing this show so much guys, but reach out. And if you have something nice to say, please share it today. I am going to read from Jasper Nilly, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, this one really touched me and I cannot, uh, thank Jasper enough for leaving this extremely generous review. He says, Jasper Nilly, N-I-L-L-Y says, Mr. Rogers for comic books. He gives us five stars. Thank you very much, sir. Taking long walks with this show in my headphones helped me get through a deep depression. For an hour or so a day, I'd be out taking in fresh air, listening to Rob wax rhapsodic about comics. One of my favorite things. And that has always made me happy. Rob has an infectious enthusiasm and positivity that invariably sent me back to the dollar bins at my local shop looking for something either I hadn't heard of or to re-examine an artist or title I'd overlooked or discounted, usually to find it was great, and I had been snooty to ignore it. Rob's observations is very much like Mr. Rogers in that our friendly neighborhood Rob stops by to remind us just how big and interesting and fun our world of comic books is. I hope this, I hope he does this for a long while to come. Jasper, this touched me on so many levels because I've been there, buddy. Uh, I have been there, especially when the pandemic hit, I was hit with a depressed state, the likes of which I had never encountered in my life uh, because I was very overwhelmed by everything that was happening. And the most fear that I'd had was for my kids' future. And in all of that isolation, 
I, 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 you know, turned to my comic books and uh, eventually turned to you guys and shared that love. Finally, talking about all of my experiences with you guys. And that just touches me so much. And I thank you so much for sharing that. I am deeply moved. Uh, that was unexpected. That, that one really moved me. Uh, the honesty with which you shared. Uh, I just, I'm going to tell you right now, I relate and I thank you. And uh, you guys, when you leave your um, reviews, uh, and you've been so generous, uh, uh, you know, occasionally there's a couple of trolls who want to hit us to ding us, but you guys, uh, really, uh, have, have given of yourselves and I appreciate it so much. And so at the end of every episode, I will read your guys, uh, reviews. And again, thank you for the support you've shown. I am on social media where you guys can continue to show support for this show. I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I mentioned that I have a blue check just so you know that it is me. There are a lot of phony accounts that tells you that that's actually me talking to you. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. My full name, Robert Liefeld, because <laughs> Rob Liefeld got jacked the minute Twitter went up and I wasn't able to get it because I was I was an early adopter. I've been on there like 12 or 13 years now, but man, that name was already taken. So, uh, uh, and and, and I'm, I just ignore the guy squatting me on that. So at Robert Liefeld is where I am at on Twitter. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. They got my name early enough. Uh, so I, I'm really, uh, Rob Liefeld on Instagram, blue check, same thing, real guy, love talking to you guys. You guys send me DMs, you send me messages. Um, I get when you tag me or you hashtag me, I try and share that. I am, I love the interaction we have that I can broadcast, you know, that, that is the one amazing thing about technology that I can sit here in my house in Orange County and talk to people all around the world, the Philippines, Mexico City, Panama, um, Idaho, you name it. I'm able to talk to all of you guys. I'm so thankful on Facebook. I'm everywhere. I, I literally, it's ridiculous how many <laughs> groups I have on Facebook, but man, if it's, especially if it happened in the seventies, man, I am there stoking that fire. Uh, general Urko forever. Okay. Francis forever. If you get those, uh, references, um, you know, you're with me. Okay. So I'm all over social media. Thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for talking with me. I love our exchanges. Um, you are going to do this for me. You are going to continue to, to, to take care of yourself. You're going to stay safe. Okay. Uh, now more than ever. Okay. We, we, we need new ways, means of, of, of just taking care of ourselves. But I hope, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing good and I want you to, uh, reach out to friends, family, you know, uh, who will always want to listen and hear from you. Because, uh, come on, man, all we have is each other, truly. That is all we have. So you're going to stay safe. And I'm going to be back. And we're going to talk again real soon.